live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Welcome to Let's Talk About Grief with your host, Addie Anderson. While death and loss are subjects that nobody likes to discuss, you need to prepare for it and deal with it effectively. On our program, we talk to professionals as well as friends and family members who have lost loved ones to help you help others and understand the grief process. Now, here is Addie Anderson. Hi, I'm Addie. Uh, Welcome to the show. This is uh, an episode of Let's Talk About Grief, and this is where we come together each week to talk about all things related to grief, death, and dying. Hopefully you're able to hear me. We're having a bit of technical difficulty. But we're talking today about healing through art. And my guest is Joan Cantwell. Hi, Joan. Hi. Joan is a registered nurse with over 30 years of experience in health, wellness, and the arts. She has certifications in intrinsic health coaching, therapeutic expressive arts, and mindfulness-based stress reduction. Joan is an artist and expressive arts teacher. She owns her own business called Mindful Living Productions, LLC, which integrates art with health. She teaches art therapy and expressive art therapy at Dominican and DePaul universities. She is co-editor and an author in the book, 21 Peaceful Nurses, Essays on a Spiritually Guided Practice. She lives in Illinois and is married to David, who is a chaplain poet at a local hospital. She also has two wonderful, creative, and funny stepsons, Devin and Jonah. Hi, Joan, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm so glad to have you here uh, to help us talk about healing through art. I thought about you this weekend as I was watching TV. I saw this show, uh, one of the new shows, and they had the developer and owner of uh, Freedom Tower, which we know is formerly the World Trade Center. But they have hired graffiti artists to create, like, street art to be displayed at Freedom Tower. And seeing this as a way, you know, to kind of help people heal through that tragedy that we experienced on 9-11, which I think fits perfectly with what we're going to talk about here today. So why don't you let us know when you started to make the connection between art and healing? Uh, Well, thank you, and I think that sounds um, really wonderful in terms of what they're doing in New York. Um, I was a nurse, I mean, I've been a nurse for a long time, and I worked in a Cambodian refugee camp in Thailand back in 1980. Um, I was a very young Mm -hmm. nurse, and um, we had just a huge influx of uh, refugees coming in from the Cambodian border into all of the camps on the the border, um, all the different medical camps. And I was a nurse. I uh, worked for the American Refugee Committee. And these people had been traumatized. They had gone through a civil war. Um, They had survived the Khmer Rouge, which was a really um, uh, devastating um, war that was going on. And and there was many different uh, languages as well. There was the Vietnamese, there were Cambodians, there were some Chinese people. There was also uh, French languages being spoke, and then I worked in an international camp with a lot of other people from different countries, and when these refugees got to our particular camp, uh, we saw how um, exhausted they had been from just trying to survive, and many of them had lost their loved ones in just this terrible war. So very slowly, we, you know, we had had some uh, pencils and paper and some crayons and, and uh some people started playing their music, and all of a sudden we saw this explosion of art, uh, a kind of a way of them telling their stories, uh, which mm-hmm. transcended the different languages and all the different experiences from these people. So there were single people, there were some families, many people had lost their own families and seen them you know, tortured mm-hmm. in, in pretty uh, severe situations. So I started to make the connection mm-hmm. there, and I saw that people were starting to slowly being able to just even speak and tell their story, and that, that, and that had a healing effect. Obviously, it wasn't going to take away their trauma or, and cure them in an instant, but it was a way of them telling their story that transcended 
all of our cultures. And that was pretty profound, and something just clicked for me at that time. And I thought I had always done my own art as a child, um, and I'd been a nurse you know, for a couple of years back then, and all of a sudden I started to make this connection. I thought, wow, this is really a powerful healing tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, with your background, you have an interesting blend of skills with nursing and then the therapeutic expressive arts certification. How did you come to that? Well, I, I actually added on the art piece to my own practice, my own uh, healthcare practice, many years later. So when I came back, I took a variety of different jobs after my refugee camp experience, but I had never really processed what had gone on there, and after several years, I felt myself getting burned out um, and maybe had, I wasn't clinically depressed, but I certainly wasn't happy with what I was doing. And so I, had, I actually saw a counselor who said to me, why don't you start doing your art when he heard what I had done as a child? And I uh, started to do my own art and just be kind of came alive again. And I took one class and then another class and then another class, and I thought, wow, why have I, I need to really be practicing this myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I continued just doing art on the side and, and having my regular, uh, well, it was a job in wellness and actually in a corporate um, occupational health position. And then after a corporate merger, I had the opportunity to go back and get a certification, which I didn't even know existed in expressive arts and expressive arts therapy. Um, and I already had my master's degree, so I didn't want to go back and get my master's in art therapy, which is definitely a legitimate way of uh, integrating the arts and healthcare. Um, but I was kind of at a different stage in my life. Um, and I was able to bring those two together in a really wonderful way. And that kind of led me into out of, the, of a full-time corporate job into the work that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And so you, you did work in hospice for about 10 years. How did that work when it came to you using your expressive arts? What was that like? That was probably one of the most profound working experiences that I've ever had. I really didn't know what I was going to, you know, how I was going to make a living with this expressive arts certification. I mean, I, of course, I had my skills as a nurse, and I could always do that. And I really had no, you know, idea. All I knew is that that was my mantra. I wanted to bring my art and my health care together. And um, a friend of mine was a nurse for Horizon Hospice at the time, and she said they were looking for somebody to work with families and to be on a complementary uh, an alternative health care uh, team uh, to work with. They also had a music therapist and someone who did um, acupuncture and someone who did aromatherapy. So I went in and I interviewed with them, and I think they really liked the combination of my skill set that I had, the certification in expressive arts, and that I also was a master's prepared nurse, um, and I started doing work for them in homes throughout the city of Chicago. Uh, And I was actually terrified when I started that because I never thought I would be using this certification and my combination of skills in a hospice situation. Um, And it was probably Mm -hmm. the thing, it's probably the type of work where I grew the most in my profession. Uh, The families that I worked Mm -hmm. with taught me so much just about... um, you know, being present for their loved ones while they were dying. And, and it's interesting because we know that in hospice work, no one's going to get better. You know, they're in hospice to help die. So it's not like art is going to mm-hmm. cure them, but it certainly mm-hmm. provided many vehicles for them to express themselves and their families as well because I was often working with children and also the families of the children um, and and mm-hmm. adults who had their own stories to tell um, and were using the arts mm-hmm. as another vehicle, another voice in their healing process so they could, you know, tell their stories and, and cry and, you know, create some memories for their loved ones. Uh, so it was mm-hmm. amazing. I, I, I think I was um, definitely the teacher. I was not the teacher. I was the student in this process <laughs> because I learned mm. so much from <laughs> the different families and how welcoming they were. Um, and, you know, and it's not for everybody. Not everybody wanted to have art or expressive arts therapy, and that was respected as well. But I, went, I, I dealt with all mm-hmm. demographics and all sections of the city, so it was a pretty amazing experience mm-hmm. for me. And I, I, like the, I like how you say that the art gave them a voice, sometimes a voice they don't have to be able to verbally say something. They can create and say something through the art. 
So as when you were at the hospice uh, center, do, can you give us an example of a patient you may have worked with and, and you know, kind of let us know how they benefited from the art? Is there somebody that comes to mind? Yes, thank you for asking that. I did work with a patient, and he gave me full permission before he died to use his name. His name is Michael. I worked with him for three years, which was a little unusual in a hospice situation. Um, usually you work with somebody like six months or the family about six months or less, but one, no one really ever knows. So he, uh, I, I worked with him for, I saw him once a week for three years, um, and he died eventually of HIV but he had been a Marine, and he also had ter- terrible post-traumatic stress disorder. And when I first came to work with him, he had already fired. Like He was really angry and lived by himself. He had lost his partner to HIV years before, um, and it was a little tentative walking in the door. Um, but once I sat down with him and he explained that he was interested in art, and again, it's not for everybody, we, we were able to find you know, his particular vehicle and the different types of uh, art that he wanted to do. And he just loved it. And he, kind of, he just really uh, thrived emotionally um, and started to trust again. And it wasn't just me. I was part of a team of obviously another counselor and a doctor and a social worker and a chaplain. But the art he always talked about, and he loved color and he loved experimenting with it. And, he was, and the thing about working with art as a healing modality is that it's not about skill set. It's about the process, not the product. Um, and that's one thing we have mm-hmm. to always emphasize. So sometimes a barrier for people to use art to express themselves is they say to themselves, well, I can't draw or I'm not an artist. And that's not what this is about. We're not learning. I mean, we can if they want to, but it's really not about learning the formal processes of color and design. Well, that can certainly be integrated into it. Um, but he he had a very a variety of symbols and landscapes that he drew to it was just really kind of fascinating. I was able to over three years see his body of work and he was so excited by that that the team, the hospice team, threw an art show you know and for him, so all of his work was shown uh, through the hospice and he invited a couple of friends and just never seen anybody uh, respond so um, positively you know well, to the did. art. And he really awesome. owned it and felt like an artist. And in the end, well, thanks, he created thanks this for sharing that, Joan. Joan, thanks for sharing that. I'm We're going to have to take a break right here. Let's just hold off for a minute so when we come back, um, okay. you can tell us some more about your experience working at the hospice. Uh, the title of Joan's sure. book is 21 Peaceful Nurses, Essays on a Spiritually Guided Practice. Uh, please like my Facebook page. I begin with in counseling services and leave me a post on your thoughts about the show, please, if you don't mind. You can follow me on Twitter at Begin With An Addie, and my website address is therapyoakpark.net. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Hi, this is Addie Anderson. Welcome back to Let's Talk About Grief. I am talking to you today with my guest, Joan Cantwell. And before we ended the last break, she was telling us about her experience of working at a hospice facility. And um, 
So I would imagine, Joan, that after working at a, at a hospice facility for the number of years that you did, that you must have formed some kind of thoughts and beliefs about grief. You know, if so, tell us what what they might be. Yes, um, I... <clears throat> With my observations with them and then my own experience as well is that from what I saw is that grief is um, not a linear process, uh, that it's kind of ongoing. It can involve what we would traditionally think about the grieving process, like people being sad or crying, but it can also involve just some really deep, wonderful stories from the past. Um, with patients and the people that I saw through hospice experience. Sometimes it would be one particular family member that was having a hard time because they know that there, it was active grieving as a uh, anticipatory grieving almost because they knew that their loved one would, you know, would, would die soon. Um, and there wasn't any mm-hmm. real formal rules to it. Um, sometimes it meant just sitting in silence with people. Sometimes it meant crying. Um, sometimes it meant creating a really wonderful piece of art or the, the, uh, the patient um, or telling a story or writing a poem um, or remembering, you know, different uh, things from their childhood. So I didn't, it, it, it's very uh, complicated in that I don't think there's any formal mm-hmm. rules to it other than it can express itself in so many different ways. Mm, I see. And you did mention, like, your own grief. Um, tell us about that. I know you recently lost your father. And what has surprised you about the grieving process uh, in, you know, dealing with something so personal? Yeah, I, um, uh, we had been, you know, we, I knew that my dad died, like, two days before he was going to go into hospice, but had been kind of his, uh, the coordinator of his care. And he died at home. Um, and... He, he was still able to get up and, like, take care of himself, uh, but needed more and more assistance as time went on. Um, so we were expecting, you know, that I, I didn't think he would make it through the summer, which he did not. So we kind of all knew that this was coming. Um, and then when he actually died, mm-hmm. like on the day that he died, I was out of town. And I didn't even cry on that day. But since that time, at his funeral, of course, I did um, but it just, there's strange surprises. Like I was riding in my car during the summer and some man had his arm hanging out of the window um, and it was freckled. My dad had a lot of freckles on his arm and it was an elderly man. And I looked at that and I remember how crinkled my dad's skin was. And I just like burst into tears as I was driving past him. And I thought, oh, okay, I know what this is all about. Um, mm. And then I went down. I was helping my mom clear out some things, and I was looking at all of his tools in his, in his little tool shed and just looking at all the things that he had used in his life to help, like, build his home and to repair things and to take care of his family. And that kind of caught me by surprise when I saw a hammer down there. So I, it, mm. it really varies. Sometimes when I drive out, my mom's still alive. I'm very lucky. When I drive out to her house, um, I see her every Wednesday and I can kind of feel like the gravity of my dad's loss as I'm getting closer to the house. So I just try to breathe and to realize that this is all part of it, but I really don't know what's going to mm-hmm. hit me, and it's just strange little things like seeing some man's arm you know, that reminds me of my dad. <laughs> so. mm. Yeah, and that's not an unusual situation. You know, when someone loses a loved one, you never know what you might see, hear, feel, taste that could trigger something in you to remind you of that person. You just never know where it's coming from, which is how you just described your experience. Mm-hmm. Now, I also introduced, I also mentioned a couple times your book, The 21 Peaceful Nurses. Tell us about the book, and if you don't mind, just reading a little bit from your essay in the book. Okay, thank you. Um, I had... Uh, the book, 21 Peaceful Nurses, a colleague of mine that I went to nursing school with, Doris Popovich, we had met at a nursing school reunion, and we started to have this question. This was like at least, you know, several years uh, into, um, actually many years after we had graduated, and we were wondering why are we still in this profession that's fairly high burnout rate, uh, 
And I realized that she was doing creative writing and I was doing my art, and we had different reasons. So we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to ask other nurses why they are still in their profession? What's kept them going? What keeps them spiritually centered? So for me, it was art, which mm-hmm. is what my essay is about. For Doris, it was writing, creative writing. Um, and other people all, we, we chose 21 nurses and we wrote and we, we um, edited and put together this book called 21 uh, Peaceful Nurses uh, Essays on a Spiritually mm-hmm. Guided Practice. And we realized that it's these practices that helped us stay in the profession and get something out of the profession. So for me, it was all about mm-hmm. art and making those early connections that I talked to you about uh, earlier in the show mm-hmm. and where I started to see mm-hmm. different people um, react and start to heal when I was started in the, in the refugee camp. But it continued, mm-hmm. you know, throughout my whole um, uh, practice. And mm-hmm. what I wanted to say, let's see, there's one thing I could read from here. It's just a page and a half. But I pretty much reinvented myself as a nurse by using my art. So I say I've created my life so that I can be an artist, a nurse, and a healer. Art is integrate, integrated into every aspect of my work. And then I just went on to say I teach, and I, at that time I was providing, I was working in hospice, um, and mm-hmm. I uh, had had a lot of different experiences, um, but then I go back to the refugees and I say that it's taught me that it is possible to creatively move beyond one's history, whether that history is surviving the battlefields of Cambodia, our current medical system, Mm -hmm. or the rigors of everyday life, that art heals, Mm -hmm. it unravels suffering, it validates our life experience, and it can lead us back to our humanity. And for me, that's Mm -hmm. visual art, but for other people, it's music and poetry and anything that transcends, you know, the verbal aspect, well, I mean, obviously poetry is verbal too, but anything that um, can transcend and get to something that is deeper than just our everyday lives. Well, you know, that's a good point you just made about, you know, how each of you are able to express yourselves artistically in different ways. So what about people who say that they're not artistic or creative? You know, how would you suggest they begin something um, you know, like this, and 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 I, you know, there are a number of ways that people express themselves creative, creatively. Do you agree with that? If so, it's just not, you know, something yeah. comes to mind a lot of times is like painting, and you know, and someone might say, "Well, I'm just not a painter," or whatever it might be. But you could, you could be a great cook. You might express yourself through that. You could be a great writer, so you're expressing yourself that way. So what would you say to someone who is just not very confident in their ability to kind of express their creativity? I, I would say that's absolutely normal. And that's and when I'm working with people, when I was working in hospice, that's like the biggest barrier to get beyond. And to kind of revisit what I said earlier, it's about the process, not the product. So creativity mm-hmm. is about, it's about, the doing and the expression. Now, if somebody wants to get better in their art, of course, that's what the craft comes in. But first has to, you know, first has to be the impulse and the expression. And there's always classes where people can learn how to paint better and learn how to draw better. And those are all skills. But it's what, what do you have to say? How do you want to express yourself? What is your voice? And what, what vehicle will that take? And like you said, it could be cooking. I mean, there's, you know, wonderful... There's people who love to cook because it, it makes them feel better and they can do things creatively with spices and then feed people through that and share it with, you know, share it with them. Um, but it really, you know, that, that's a real individual answer. But I say it's really just begin and don't worry about it, you know. And mm-hmm. if, if someone's goal, and you hear this from art teachers all the time, if your goal is to be published or to have a great exhibit, then maybe you want to back it up a little bit. And, I mean, that's fine. But the question is, how, what is important to you and what do you feel needs expressing? And we saw that mm-hmm. that, happens, that happens spontaneously. It's almost like it's in our DNA to be creative individuals. I think it's part of who we are as a human being is that we are creative, but we don't often give ourselves permission. So I say mm-hmm. slow down, you know, back it up a little bit. You don't have to be a Picasso tomorrow, <laughs> 
but mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. might you want to say and how might you want to express yourself? And then how does that make you mm-hmm. feel? So with healing art, mm-hmm. it's really about those feelings that come through that regular maybe talk therapy can't help you get at or it mm-hmm. might be lying mm-hmm. under the unconscious at some level and it needs to express it, uh, itself. So it's just mm-hmm. taking that first step, reassuring people that it's not about being a fine artist. And that's a lofty mm-hmm. goal, of course, but the healing arts is a little different. It's really about expression, having a voice, telling your story, and then how do other people relate to that. So there's also a community involved, I think. Whether the community is one person that you're sharing it with or you keep it in your journal or you share it with you know, a therapy group or something. I see. Now, you know, I found your art to be very intriguing, and um, it, it's, it was unique to me, and now it would be a, a great part on the show, I think, for you to talk about it, because you were able to create something that uniquely speaks to your experience of your dad's failing health uh, going into his death. So t- tell the listeners what you what you were able to do and what you are doing with that. Sure. Um, I, I was spending so much time, and, and I have a creative space uh, where I try to get to at least once a week. I don't always get there once a week, but when I, uh, when I can. Uh, but I was spending so much time um, as the caregiver, the overseer of my both of my parents, um, who were fairly independent, but... They just had so many doctors, and they needed somebody to drive them to their um, doctor's offices, and my dad's kidney started to fail. And so I, and I would get the lab results being a nurse. The doctors would send me the lab results. I was organizing their appointments. I was trying to coordinate that with my, the rest of my family. I was looking at prescriptions, and my dad was on so many different prescriptions, going to the pharmacy, um, a couple of emergency room visits. And so I started to, obviously, there's stuff. As artists always look at what is out there, you know, there's stuff that I started mm-hmm. to collect, like their, their uh, benefit statement and their Medicare bills and all the different prescription bottles that my dad were, was no longer using and um, the lab results. Um, I would fill his pillbox for him, so there's that. So these were all, like, all, I saw them all as possible, um, uh, very interesting components of what makes up a human being. Uh, and he had all these different doctors mm-hmm. with different telephone numbers, and he had a cardiologist and a nephrologist and a dermatologist and a nephrologist, an internist, and on and on, a hematologist. And so I was getting really overwhelmed, even though I'm a, I'm a nurse. You know, I've done this for other people, but when it's for your, a family mm-hmm. member, it's a little bit different. And I, everybody had a tiny little piece of him. So I started saving all those tiny little pieces that represented it. They were mm-hmm. symbolic, obviously, of a bo- particular body system. And to just get grounded, I started drawing different parts of the human anatomy. So I drew, his, uh, not his kidneys, obviously, but I drew kidneys, and then I drew a heart, and I drew um, a skeleton, and my own stethoscope, and pill bottles. Plus, I started saving other things. So I just didn't know what I was going to do with all of these things. And then after he passed away, I started to put them all together to make a collage, um, and I took a mm-hmm. collage class after he had died this summer that kind of allowed me to bring all these pieces together. Um, it was to help me not get burned out and to mm-hmm. work through the question, what makes up a human being? Because, again, like I said, it's not just he was always having trouble with his potassium level, so he had to drink medication, and we'd have to follow up on that. And anybody that's been in, involved in caregiving, which is probably the majority of people, knows how complicated things can get. So I was just taking that and using that as the kind of the, the, the tools for me to be able to have my own voice as I'm watching as a, his daughter, him, you know, decline over time, and then also trying to help the doctors and, uh, with monitoring these delicate balances that make up a person. So that mm-hmm. kind of all came together, and it's uh, in these collages and in some of the different um, body systems that I'm drawing and still drawing. It's, 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 uh, it's still in process right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think that is a, a very creative way 
to kind of share your experience. You know, uh, I never would have thought of pulling together, you know, benefit statements or billing statements or anything, even the, you know, the label on a prescription bottle to kind of um, map your journey of what you were going through as you were, uh, you know, seeing about your dad. So just doing that, I think, will help other people kind of know that there is no one way, no one right way to do this. It's just whatever you feel compelled to do, you know, you just do it. You just try it. We're not looking for perfection. What we're looking for here is healing. And however you find that in what you do is the direction that you need to take. Do you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. So it wasn't about making something pretty or, you know, to put on the walls, but it was helping me... uh, integrate, you know, my own experiences and also looking at, oh, my gosh, this is my dad. He's not just a potassium level. You know, there's more to that. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. what can I do with all of this stuff? Because we all have stuff. And obviously when, you're, when someone's sick, they have a lot of stuff. You know, if you go into a hospital room, you see mm-hmm. all of the machines around them. And um, with him, he wasn't in the hospital, luckily, but uh, there were so many different things that we would have to that would compete, you know, for his attention and our, my, when I say our, I'm talking about my family because my sisters were very helpful as well and my mom. So it wasn't just me, but I was mm-hmm. kind of the coordinator of the whole thing. Um, and, yes, mm-hmm. and so it, that, that, will, that will vary depending on the person. How can they express mm-hmm. themselves? Maybe I ran into a woman recently um, at a poetry reading and, she uh, would just do, like, creative writing, not just, but she would do creative writing. As, and she also took care of her fa- father as he died. And she mm-hmm. had some really wonderful little poetry mm-hmm. pieces um, that she was trying to put together mm-hmm. that explained some of these situations. So mine took more of a visual approach, but certainly some mm-hmm. people, you know, might write poems, and she did, she did uh, expressive writing which was her vehicle as well. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are creative ways of kind of moving that energy so that we don't get stuck um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in one place. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm not going to get mm-hmm. stuck <laughs> and that it's going to be, you know, that this, I'm going to do my art and then, I, and then I'm not going to feel sad anymore. It doesn't mean that at all. It's just a way of helping mm-hmm. me organize an experience. I see, I see, and, and the, the idea here is to allow yourself to be expressive, and that's the most important thing. So we're coming up on our next break now, so we're going to um, uh, take a break here and come back and and finish talking to Joan and having her give us ways and ideas as to how we might be able to ex- express our healing through art. You can find Joan's book. The title is 21 Peaceful Nurses, Essays on a Spiritually Guided Practice. Please like my Facebook page at Begin Within Counseling Services. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, please leave me, a, you know, just a thought on what you think about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Begin With Addie, and my website address is therapyoakpark.net. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. 
Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit TherapyOakPark.net. That's TherapyOakPark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Welcome back. Uh, this is Addie Anderson, and uh, we're talking today to Joan Cantwell, and our uh, topic is Healing Through Art. She has given us some great information thus far. We will continue the conversation. And, Joan, I want to uh, start with asking you, you know, a question. You know, you, you when we left, you were talking about your experience of, you know, all everything that went into caring for your dad. So... What would you say your father's death has taught you about life itself? That's a great question. Uh, What comes to mind, I think, first of all, and it's a hard one for me, is that I I am not in control. (laughs) That because I'm a nurse (laughs) and I was helping manage his care, that he was going to die the way that he wanted to, thank goodness, and um, he was in control of his decisions, but the human body also was going to do its own thing. And we, he really, uh, you know, he had an um, uh, advanced directive, so we were really clear on that, um, but that no matter what I did, I could be organized and I could take him to all his doctors and give him all of, you know, help him, encourage him to take his medications. It really wasn't about me at all. So it's a, I really had to let my ego get out of the way and just show up mm-hmm. and be with him and to really listen. So what, it, what that teaches mm-hmm. me about life is it's not so much about what we do, it's really about the being more than the doing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's hard as a nurse because we're so used to being in control of everything and we're great organizers and, you know, it's a wonderful profession, but... Uh, I can speak for myself, I can be a bit control-oriented. <laughs> so it was really had to shift all of that. Wasn't going to save him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, did, I don't have that power. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, to, and to allow myself to feel okay and like the messiness of all of that, that there's no, mm-hmm. this is not, you know, whatever is happening here is bigger than myself, you know, and, it, and it's not about me. Um, and mm-hmm. he just had such a, he was really a man full of grace and humor, and he was always so grateful when anybody would help him out in the most simplest ways. Um, and that made it really easy mm-hmm. to take care of him, you know, and to be and to show up for him. Mm-hmm. And he would always apologize. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I, I want to be here, and uh, to really respect his boundaries too. So, you know, mm-hmm. we come from a big mm-hmm. family, and I have a lot of other sisters and brothers, and of course, my mom has definitely has opinions on things and. Um, to navigate all of that, you know, it did get a little messy, but I guess the biggest thing, you know, to answer your initial question is that I wasn't in control. I, I was a part of it, and I would just try to breathe, mm-hmm. be mindful, show up. It didn't always work. <laughs> Some days it was messy. Some mm-hmm. days my mom would get mad at me for trying to be in control, and that was a lesson, too. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. were very lucky in, in my family of origin that this, this both my parents were... Uh, my mom's still alive. She's 91. It'll be 91 next week, and uh, I mean next month. And they had their they were married 70 years. So this was really the first oh, wow. death. And I'm I know, and I'm 61 years old. So in our family mm. of origin, which is pretty unusual, um, mm-hmm. this, but my dad was the one. He was the be- he was the best teacher in terms of how to do this, just with integrity and mm-hmm. um, you know I. I saw that with other families when I worked in hospice, but when I experienced it myself, it's a whole, it's a, it's a lot different. So that, mm-hmm. that's my answer. I'm not in control. <laughs> mm-hmm. Keep it yeah, and I guess, it's, you know, you have to learn how to 
allow the patient, so to speak, to teach you, right, what they need and yes. uh, give them the freedom to say what they don't want and um, just kind of be with them and, and bear witness to the experience that they're having as well as you're having an experience too. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and relinquishing, relinquishing control that sometimes we really don't have anyway, right? It can be very difficult. Right. And, and as a healthcare professional, and then being his daughter, you know, I, I, it, it was like a dance on some days where I, I would just have to learn, okay, I'm his daughter now, not today. Now, I don't have to be his caregiver in this moment, you know. And a really good mm-hmm. friend of mine who recently lost her father said that, told me, she said, you know, before he dies, you know, I know you're on your way to the hospital with all these things, but just take him off and just, you know, encourage him to share stories from his your childhood and what he remembers about our family growing up. And, you know, I took that to heart. And two weeks before he died, we had some really high-quality time. So that when I left him um, and I was out of town when he mm-hmm. died, I, realized, I, I really had said goodbye to him. And I, don't ha- I didn't have any regrets mm-hmm. in terms of things not said. You know, I was able to thank mm-hmm. him um, that for being such a great dad and providing for us. We, we, we were lucky we had a pretty healthy family, as much as most families can be healthy, you know, not, not high <laughs> levels of dysfunction. Um, and so I, I got to do that, and that was such a great honor, you know, and, and, and mm. to be able to be with him during those moments. Mm. And, you know, you also stated in your book that after you took an art class, I believe at the Art Institute, um, you said, and I quote, I felt my soul returning. What did you mean by that? I, I, I meant that I was reconnecting with the creative side of myself that I had had as a child. Um, that's part of an essence of who I am and that when I went to nursing school, I mean, I love that experience, but I was, it was so science-based that I shut that part of myself off for many, many years. And when I was going through my, um, my own work, you know, when I had gotten back from uh, working in the refugee camp and being kind of burned out having done, you know, health care for such a long time, and when I was doing my own self-reflection and working with the counselor and doing my own artwork, I slowly reconnected with, that's what I meant by my soul, like the, the essence of who I really am from childhood, my true self, you know, and all of this mm-hmm. was all of myself, of course, but that part of me that for some reason I just had not paid attention to. And it was pointing, you know, that everything was pointing to, yes, you have to do this. This is part of who you are. And so that's what I meant mm-hmm. by that. I see. And why do you think art is, a, is a, such a powerful healer? Because it sounds like what you were, you were reconnecting with yourself in that moment when you took that class. And you've talked about throughout throughout our conversation, just about how powerful art can be. So what happens, if you can kind of put that in words, in your own words, what do you think, you know, why do you think it's a, how, it's a powerful healer? I think it's, it's a powerful healer for a lot of different reasons. It, it allows people to um, express themselves in nonverbal ways. So when you have a powerful emotion, you might not be able to articulate, mm-hmm. especially with when with somebody who's younger or maybe doesn't have a lot of self-reflection, if you put it out on a piece of paper, it allows you to express it. It gets out that emotion. It's a cathartic experience. So that's one aspect Mm -hmm. of how art can help. It can be cathartic where you're getting it out of the mind, body, spirit, and you're actually putting it on the page. And now, so anything, any overwhelming emotion, whether it's joy or sorrow or grief or anger, now is no longer in you or in me, but it's now on the page, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, and I can relate to it in a mm-hmm. different way. So, and it can also, mm-hmm. when we know that when people, so that's one way, is that it helps with powerful mm-hmm. emotions, um, and we don't even have to understand it. We just have to let it express itself. Then there's another level where you, if you want to understand it, you know, you could dig deeper and see if it's, you know, bringing up anything unconscious, and people might want to work with an art therapist or an art therapist if something is triggered that is very disturbing. Um, and mm-hmm. also we know that just being creative helps uh, with stress. Uh, it helps reduce stress. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel good mm-hmm. because that's part of who we are as human beings. So there's the creativity mm-hmm. part. There's the emotional piece of it. There's the self-awareness mm-hmm. and 
Um, and there's also, like with my patient, uh, Michael, he was able to, he did a, a series of cats. And the cats, when we figured this out, we looked at it and through our um, talking with him, the cat was really a representative, representative of himself, but it was just too painful for him to, you know, he was able to show a cat in distress, but not himself. So by displacement mm. and using symbolism, um, it can help him get gain insights. You know, it can help us gain insights into ourselves if we decide we want to go down that path. So there's... Yeah, and, you know, there are some people that also like working with their hands, <laughs> you know, like getting their hands dirty or, you know, they might be a sculptor or they might be a gardener or they want to create something with their hands. And that also is a way to kind of, you know, get benefits from all the things you talked about, right? Yes, because it's the physicality of it. So you're actually doing mm-hmm. something. Like clay is really wonderful for, actually clay is very good for grief because it gets you out of your head and into your body right away. You know, it's very cathartic mm-hmm. for that. Or anger. Clay is great for anger. Um, and it, because there, it is so physical in terms of working with it. You don't even have to know formal sculpture just to work with clay. But it, it, it gets mm-hmm. people, you know, it, it, it allows them to express themselves, but also, like you said, the physicality of it is also um, helps mm-hmm. with stress tremendously. Yeah, as a, and you also mentioned it's a way to shift the energy in your body. Now, mm-hmm. do you have any any ideas or thoughts about uh, actually including your art in in an exhibit? Have you thought about that? Right now, I it's it's still pretty fresh. My dad just died at the end of May, and I'm. I, I was um, creating a couple of collages, and I'm still learning some new techniques that I want to integrate into it, but I see myself doing a series. So maybe down the road, but not, not in the next year. Um, first, I, the, mm-hmm. the, the main thing for me is creating the time to be able to go and, and to work on it. And then we'll see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. If it does, that's great. Um, but for mm-hmm. right now, it's still kind of in a fresh, just uh, infant stage in terms of the types of work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in the work that you do, is it basically you being like a solo artist or, or did you offer opportunities to help other people find their creative side? Um, well, yes, because I, up until actually last month, I was doing work at Mount Sinai Hospital and I would run an art uh, group for them for the HIV group. Um, and I, I just pulled back mm-hmm. because I have... Uh, other commitments right now, but I was do- I did that for like three or four years. Um, I teach art mm. therapy and expressive art therapy at DePaul and Dominican. So the students often just come and they. Mm. It's an elective. It's not a formal uh, program there, but they will often come and use it for their own stress management, um, and then mm-hmm. also introducing them to the connection of the healing arts and see if they might want to go on, you know, in in their careers or just take this as an elective. Uh, so mm-hmm. I. Uh, do some work in health and wellness, and sometimes corporations have called me in to come in and do like a lunch and learn seminar on stress and creativity. Um, That's kind of popular, Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot of fun. Um, And then in my training, with uh, there's a a lot of different exercises where I can help. I kind of integrate it into the field of stress management, um, which is one of my... uh, I don't, I don't know if I use word expertise, but that's one of the things that I've been doing for a while is stress management and mindfulness and bringing art into that as well. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, yeah, this has been a lovely conversation, Joan. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I've learned a lot, and I would imagine the listeners have too. Uh, you can find Joan's book, 21 Peaceful Nurses, at Amazon.com. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest on my show, please email me at letstalkgrief at gmail.com or you can give me a call at 708-870-6255. Thanks for listening and be sure and listen next week when the topic will be dealing with sudden loss. Thanks and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Grief. Please join your host, Addie Anderson, again next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Until we speak again, be there for a loved one who might need you this week. there are times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now, she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. MailJet is changing how teams email with the launch of their collaboration toolkit. Create and send emails with your team faster with real-time collaboration and in-app commenting. Learn why businesses like Product Hunt, Microsoft, Avis, and more send millions of emails every day with MailJet at hello.mailjet.com forward slash voice and try MailJet Premium for one month free. That's hello.mailjet.com forward slash voice. Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 